The Clean Power Hour is brought to you by CPS America, the maker of North America's number one three-phase string inverter. With over six gigawatts shipped in the U.S., the CPS America product lineup includes three-phase string inverters ranging from 25 to 275 kW. Their flagship inverter, the CPS 250-275, is designed to work with solar plants ranging from 2 megawatts to 2 gigawatts. The 250-275 pairs well with CPS America's exceptional data communication, controls, and energy storage solutions. Go to chintpowersystems.com to find out more. Suncast.live. Thanks to our streaming sponsors, SunGrow and Tygo. If you're watching this on the live stream, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to bookmark suncast.live and take the conversations with you on the go. I'm Tim Montague. Welcome to the Clean Power Hour Live. I want to introduce my co-host, John Weaver. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, Tim. We're in front of a bunch of people on stage today instead of just in front of our computers. This is a lot of pressure here. It's a little little different venue, and it's good to be here in Anaheim at what we used to call SPI, now RE+. So good to see so many friends from the solar and storage industries. Yes. See all the manufacturers. We're going to be doing a recap of what you and I have experienced for the last couple of days here in Anaheim at the largest solar trade show in North America, known as RE+. I want to give a shout out to SEIA and the whole team at RE+, as well as the team at Suncast Media for organizing this Power Up Media Zone. Go Nico Johnson, wonderful job, amazing uh, amount of contact that you guys have been streaming for the last four days. It's truly mind-boggling. But uh, just thank you so much. So, John, what are we going to talk about today? What have you been uh, doing the last couple of days? And what are some of the highlights for you? Well, doing is just going from handshake to handshake, meeting to meeting. You know, writing for PV Magazine, you have a responsibility to, to speak to sponsors of PV Magazine, but also just new gear so I can train and educate the readers, the tradespeople. And, uh, and there's just so many people to talk. So I've had two straight days of conversation, 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 and stop five minutes for a coffee and a bagel, conversation, conversation. And, uh, and then, of course, in the evening, you socialize with your friends and meet people. And, and so it's just, it's, first off, it's great to see human beings. Uh, I just, right before this meeting, I met with a, a battery uh, behind the meter, DC-coupled energy storage solution, Eneon. They're uh, based in Canada, and they're working on a project with us. And it was just great to shake the hands of people who have gear that we're going to be buying and installing. And that's just, that's just nice. I mean, you don't need to meet people, but it's really nice to. So I saw just, you also found a Space Age coffee maker, other, otherwise known as Red Flow, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, uh, a flow battery for yes. the resi and small commercial market. Yes. I, I really enjoyed meeting those guys. Um, you know, I, speaking of, of storage, I also geeked out on... Hydrogen electrolyzers. Yes. I want to. I want to talk a little bit about the hydrogen economy, but um, it seems like every solar panel maker is also flaunting a storage product these days. Is that a must? If you make solar panels, you also have to make a battery. Well, if you're a large scale solar panel manufacturer and you're delivering products direct to EPCs contractors, and they're talking to you about your connections where the massive battery manufacturers are, you're not required to, but if you got some common sense, yeah, 
I mean, it's uh, if, uh, Canadian Solar, I think, has done multiple gigawatt hours of batteries now. And they have their development arm, of course, through Recurrent. But if you're talking with battery people and to have project developers and you have a chance to increase your project capex uh, by 20 to 50 percent by adding batteries, you need to. And, uh, you know, my first solar panel purchase for a commercial was from BYD. But they're not even a solar panel maker. They were a battery maker first. So I, it just makes sense. And, and somewhere in there, you know, even Canadian Solar and others, they have the inverters that are going to sit between the batteries and the modules. And that sort of integration is important. Uh, and it can be mentally taxing. You know, I have a project right now. I'm working in New York. We had some uh, control issues. We had a battery issue. We had, and so now we have to dance to find the right pieces. And I think we have a good partner to do it. But, you know, we're a young company. Figuring out those connections, that hardware, it's a challenge. So as a, if you're making panels and you're talking to developers and you miss out on that opportunity, that's, that's bad on you. Canadian Solar is not going to miss out on that opportunity. So go for it. Deliver it. Yeah, I like that, that model. Why not just build all three components, the solar panels, the batteries, and the inverters. Um, it doesn't have to be that, that vertical integration approach, but it, is, uh, it gives you peace of mind, I guess, right? If, if, if one company is responsible for the entire facility, right? And if you're going to install a solar array, you may as well install a battery because then you get resiliency, um, off-grid operation, right? That's what I'm referring to by resiliency, as well as grid services. Um, I'm curious, did you talk to any of the companies that are doing, you know, um, battery as a service on a large scale? Spoke to ESS, which I just love their tech. Uh, I spoke with ESS, and right now, ESS is... Their issue is scaling manufacturing for long-duration storage. Hundreds of gigawatt, uh, megawatts of opportunity that are out there. And they have a couple of hundred of megawatts signed, um, actually a couple of gigawatts now. And I'm very interested in long-duration. I want to see how it fits into the equation. You know, we have our lithium-ion is awesome. We don't have a long-duration storage for the two- to three-week period that the modelers say we do have to consider for doldrums of wind during winter times. But this middle chunk for, you know, eight to maybe 12 hours, that's really interesting because the peaks in California are getting wider and longer. So I, I spoke to them. I left uh, that conversation a good 45 minutes, very technical talk, feeling very optimistic about ESS Inc.'s opportunities with uh, – energy with a long duration they there's rfps out in virginia georgia um florida and one other state that's in the southeast and i was really uh excited to hear that because everybody knows that california is going to do something but all these other areas doing it also so i i like that i another long duration storage technology though hydrogen and you mentioned module manufacturers doing this type of stuff well longee has a 5-megawatt hydrogen electrolyzer that's going to be available. And they were showing it off uh, a mini version at their booth. They had the spec pages there. I'm interested in that because interconnection limitations versus land availability. I have more land around certain interconnections, but I don't have the ability to plug in a large project. 
So what am I going to do when I have 40 to 50 acres, but I can only do 1 to 3 megawatts uh, AC? I want to add either A, some DC-coupled batteries, or B, based upon the new IRA, I'm going to start looking at putting an electrolyzer and see if that's a real opportunity. I don't know yet. I'm still, you know, we're all learning about how to use hydrogen and whether it's going to grow and how. But I, that's the one reason I, I hung out at the Longy booth a little bit too long. Probably was bothering them, asking too many questions. But I'm really interested in hydrogen electrolyzers and what's going to come of it because it's going to scale. It's going to scale and we're going to see learning curves just like we saw with batteries, just like we saw with solar panels. And uh, the hydrogen seems to be something that a lot of people are going to get behind. So, um, you know, I can't tell the future, but that's a certain future that has a decent probability. So seeing that unit really excited me. Yeah, I got to visit with uh, two electrolyzer companies, one from Germany called Anapter, E-N-A-P-T-E-R. Shout out to Jens Bischoff, um, who gave me a nice introduction to their technology. And then Nell Energy or Nell Hydrogen from uh, the Oslo, Norway area. And they use different approaches. Uh, Nell uses a PEM high, uh, electrolyzer, and Anapter uses a different kind, which I cannot remember the name of that technology, but they're, they're cousins. And, um, you know, for, for industrial heat, of course, hydrogen has huge potential. You take water, you take clean electricity, and voila, you have hydrogen and oxygen. Um, and then we have thermal uh, storage technology. I have a company called Rondo Energy coming out on the show in a couple of weeks that is doing hot brick batteries uh, for long-term storage, 1500 degrees C made with uh, thermal, sorry, electric resistance heating, just like you, you use in your toaster. And so you take a wind farm, plug it in behind the meter. Uh, it doesn't have to be grid connected even, or a solar farm. Make it ton of hot bricks, and then you power your steel plant or uh, combined heat and power plant. You can make electricity, of course. It's, it's a, um, just a wonderful, clean way of making a long-term battery, so a, a hot brick battery. I'm looking forward to seeing those guys grow into the market. Um, anything else you want to say about hydrogen? Uh, I was just going to make a comment about Hot bricks. That sounds like a totally weird idea that I absolutely want to see get experimented on because, I don't know, it's this giant solar thermal battery. That's pretty cool. And it's just bricks instead of moving uh, liquids that seem uh, very complex for us to do. Uh, all those salts, the, the molten salt solar thermals. Solar thermal is awesome. I, grew, I cut my teeth installing solar thermal back in the 2000s in South Florida. So, uh, so it just kind of has a little special place in my heart. Yeah, I too got my start in solar thermal in my backyard in Albuquerque, New Mexico in the 1970s. My dad and I were making <laughs> solar hot water panels. Awesome. Uh, you take a sheet of copper, paint it black, put copper tubing on it, paint it black, and set it out, set it out in the sun, and voila, you have hot water, which is pretty amazing. Yep. PV, of course, um, kind of kicked the uh, hot water panels, but... In the, in the 90s and 2000s, yep. but it is coming back. Yes. Um, I've also got an episode with some engineering coming out where they do, they have a uh, single axis tracker for making hot water uh, technology from Sweden. I can't remember the name of that manufacturer, but some engineering. Um, we should probably talk about some more traditional solar equipment too, like racking 
Um, racking isn't necessarily the sexiest product, but now that we have trackers, um, that makes it a lot more interesting, of course. And I did visit with a company called Mechatron. They make a double-axis tracker here in California. The company originated in Greece. And um, shout-out to Michael Fukakis. Um, oh, sorry, Fukukakis. Uh, can't get enough Ks in there. And I want to give a shout-out also to the supporting sponsors of the Power Up Zone here. That's AES, Aurora, SMA, Solreet, and SunGrow. And I'm going to be interviewing... Jim Spano shortly after this show from Soul Reed. So looking forward to having Jim on stage here. Um, that double XS tracker though from Mechatron, John, it is a beast. It, uh, it's a 40 KW solar array on a tracker. It stands about 20 feet tall um, at the low edge. And then, uh, you know, is of course following the sun 365 days a year. You get 2,500 kWh per kWp because of that tracking function. You know, in, in, uh, in the Great Lakes region, we're happy if we can reach 1,500 kWh per kWp with a tracker. Uh, fixed ground, we would be in the 12 to 1,300 zone. So 2,500 is a, is a major boost. And you and I talked a little bit in the pre-show about some of the, the challenges that trackers face. Um, I think they're great for, you know, places where you have very extreme limitations on space because mm -hmm. um, you can really pack in the KWH yep. in, in a small amount of space or where you have terrain that may be unrealistic for a normal solar array. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, looking forward to uh, seeing that in the wild sometime. I don't know where they're getting installations happening, but uh, that I've was installed, just really cool. I've installed three trackers, uh, okay. three dual access in uh, – uh, just outside of Volusia, uh, Three River, California. Uh, it's a residential system with BYD modules and uh, three dual-access trackers feeding an off-grid house, big battery system, and they're awesome. The only negative with a dual-access tracker is bankability. You know, you're going to have to do O&M, and how many long-term uh, uh, dual access tracker companies have been around to supply the components for the long game for the 25 years that we want uh, otherwise it's beautiful tech and it's just cool you know who doesn't like big giant pieces of metal moving around so uh, I, I'll say the, the neatest little tech that I saw is from a big company it's BYD's blade battery cells and they had a show of it and you just see this long physical silvery blade but the key about those blade ones is that this is part of the next generation of cells that are super dense. And these blade cells are going in cars, but they're also going into stationary storage. And the density that's going to come from that type of product is pretty awesome. Yeah, I saw the blade. I didn't get to talk to anyone about it. But so is each, they look like the fins on, you know, a heat sink. Uh, and, and so each, it, it makes sense, right? They're just trying to make a lot of surface area per cell. Mm -hmm. But is each blade a cell then? I don't know if it's a cell or if there's multiple cells inside of it. I did ask. Because they were like a quarter inch thick or yep. half inch thick. And a couple feet long. Yeah. And about two to three inches tall. Yep. And they're just, they're cells of some sorts and they have connections on them. Yeah. I don't know the exact technicals, yeah. but they're super dense and it's. You know, CATL, they have a new uh, battery structure that's super dense. It's based on some of the pushing that Tesla did with their battery design. So it's, we're now seeing 
as the volumes grow and as the pressures to have a higher quality battery product, denser battery product come out, uh, we're just seeing some innovation. And the more eyes we have, the more purchases we have, this is what a standard learning curve is. You know, the more human beings looking at it, thinking about it, touching it, experimenting on it, the more innovation that's just going to pop out of us. And, and this is a little innovation that's beautiful. I like it. I like the look of it. Well, I'm going to tuck us back to racking because I'm such a geek for racking. <laughs> I also visited the uh, Jerkin Technology booth. Yes. Uh, booth 151. And um, Make sure we talk about Matthew. I hope yeah, Matthew's listening. Matthew Lusk is the uh, VP of Business Development for the Americas. And this is a very unique product. It's yeah. a three feet off the ground uh, basically a solid array, right, mm -hmm. in east-west format yep. um, using a, a very thin-gauge steel pole as its main foundation. And so it's, uh, it doesn't require heavy equipment mm -hmm. for installation, for one thing. It requires much less steel than a traditional um, driven pile approach, yep. right? You're not using true C-channel uh, C piles or H-channel piles, you're just using what is more like a rebar post. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I have to say, I have a fondness for this product. It's very early days. They've got a couple of hundred megawatts, I think 400 megawatts of installs so far. Uh, company is from Germany. Uh, like so many products in the solar industry, the Germans, the Japanese, they glommed onto solar before we did, John, even though we invented it here in 1954. I don't know what's up with that, but here we are. Then um, we're leaning into massive growth. We're going to triple the solar industry by 2027. So that means we're going to go from 20 gigawatts a year to 60 gigawatts a year in the next five years. That's an annual growth rate of 60%. It's truly mind-boggling. But how do you know Matthew, and what do you think of the PEG racking system? Uh, I know Matthew because I've been watching them for a couple years. I've solicited them for a bid or two. We haven't had the right project for them. And I am just fond of the technology. Um, it cuts down labor costs, cuts down heavy machinery. There's no, uh, a recent project that we just finished, we had to drive uh, ground screws. And around four and a half feet down, we had a layer of thin rocks, clay, and other material, and we couldn't get through with the ground screws, so we had to excavate. So we had two separate machines on the site, only one of them being used. And it takes experts to run these machines, but doing it with, uh, with uh, the PEG system, it's going to be a different game. One thing that's interesting, and I owe Matthew a story for PV Mag, but uh, uh, we need to write about his wind code and the fact that he can stand wind code in the Caribbean. And I believe he told me somewhere in the 170 to 180 mile per hour, they could deal with it with this tiny little thin hardware. And so I'm very interested in having that conversation with him finally and, and learning about the wind code stuff because it's such a... You know, you think big giant steel, that's all we can do to make stuff safe. But if you're lighter and smarter and you have good engineering, maybe you can do something different. And so um, I, I like the gear. Then the key thing that I like about the gear, uh, two, two items. One, the cost of it, uh, 50 cents per watt less if you're doing a ground mount install. Because your machines, your labor, your hardware, all those things are significantly lesser. And then the second is that if we get back to the mindset that solar gear is actually cheap again and the modules get back down to 30, 25 cents, 35 cents, we don't have to be as efficient with our hardware. We can maximize the land. And, and I'm not 100% sure on the numbers, but I think 
with the uh, peg gear, you can get, well, I know you can get much more module density per acre. But I think even accounting for capacity factors, the PEG hardware is going to output more electricity per acre than any other technology, and maybe other than a dual-axis tracker, but any other standard, fixed, or even single-axis tracker gear per acre. And that's something when we talk about land prices and we talk about pushback from neighbors, um, we just we want to pump electricity. That's our fundamental goal. And if we can get that many more panels and we can get at a price that's cheaper then that's something special. So I like it. Yeah, it has good energy density. And, uh, and, and, so, and, and I thank you for pointing out the high wind load uh, factor as well. So it's great for island nations like Puerto Rico that just got slammed by a hurricane. Yeah. And that's, uh, that phenomenon is, is, of course, not going anywhere. I want to give a shout-out to Alexis Pascaris, uh, who's the founder of a company called AgriSolar Consulting. Wonderful little startup from the UP of Michigan, uh, focusing on agri- agrivoltaics. Uh, their name is AgriSolar Consulting. I'm developing a course, John, on the topic of agrivoltaics for heat spring. I've already launched my uh, selling and developing commercial solar on heat spring. Check that out. I'm Tim Montague. Just Google Montague and heat spring, and you'll find my courses there. It's a wonderful resource for. Uh, NABCEP certification or uh, any learning that you want to do in solar and energy storage. Anybody, uh, we, we just have a couple of minutes left here, John, mm-hmm. so we'll be wrapping up in a couple of minutes. But who else did you get to see here that you want to give a shout out to? Oh, and before I forget, Joe Ordia, I want to um, give a special greeting to Joe. He runs a channel called Solar Surge, that's his company. He's a residential installer. And he has a great YouTube channel where he's doing consumer education on solar and batteries and inverters. Um, Joe Ordia, check him out at Solar Surge. One component, uh, and I guess we're spinning to modules a tiny bit, but many module manufacturers are announcing factory openings. Uh, I saw a new one yesterday. Uh, I was speaking to an Indian company who was considering opening facilities in the U.S., and yesterday I spoke with vSun, and I actually purchased hardware from them recently. But as I was chatting with them, first they talked about potentially opening a facility in the U.S., but then they suggested they'd be getting silicon, polysilicon, from Norway. And if people are chasing the clean polysilicon, our solar panel energy return on investments are going to go just through the roof. They're just going to be great. We're going to have energy paybacks of six months for everybody. And it's a, we're already under a year to two for most systems. But now, if people really start to clamp down on the energy utilization of making polysilicon going into the panels, then we're really, really going to have some great CO2 numbers. And that, you know, fundamentally, that's why we're chasing solar, low CO2. But now, if we up our polysilicon game, and literally, we have hydro-powered solar panels. I mean, and hydro is in elect, you know, clean electricity, not just general electricity, but hydro-electric-powered solar panels. That's something that's pretty cool. I hope more people do it. I hope there's more pressure on the manufacturers. And, you know, a, a coal-powered solar panel, it sounds terrible. It's still cleaner than coal. I mean, because it's going to go for another 30 years and make 30 times the electricity it took to make it. But it'd be much better, much warmer and fuzzier. 
if I could say, hey, these solar panels were made by hydroelectricity, that's just, that's just cool. And, and we actually have an uh, industry trade group now dedicated to this topic, the Ultra Low Solar Carbon Alliance. Yes. Um, Ultra Low Solar, Ultra Low Carbon Solar Alliance, excuse me. <laughs> Ultra Low Carbon Solar Alliance. And so they're developing a certification so that manufacturers can get a, an official stamp of approval. It's analogous to LEED, um, which is, you know, a low energy design certificate or standard, right, for green buildings. Now we have the same developing in the solar industry. You can make a solar panel with clean energy or dirty energy. Of course, we want more clean energy solar panels because they're going to be um, reducing our carbon footprint faster. That's the bottom line. How quick we can make this the energy transition. We're going to make the transition one way or another. Just a question of will we make it quick enough. Tim, there's lots of other things we could talk about. I know, I know we only have three more minutes, but I got like 55 business cards here in my inbox here that we could talk about every <laughs> single one of them. I'm so bummed that we don't have more time to, uh, <laughs> to share the love with all the wonderful exhibitors here at RE+. I want to give another shout out to Suncast Media for putting this all together and their sponsors, uh, which include SunGrow, the uh, storage and inverter company, Tygo, the very well-known power electronics company, I had a wonderful meeting with Jing at the Tygo booth yesterday. Uh, we'll be bringing her on the Clean Power Hour in the coming months. And then we also want to thank the uh, supporting sponsors who made the Media Zone possible. That's AES, Aurora, SMA, Soul Reet, who's going to be up next, and SunGrow. Thank you so much for being here, John Weaver, Mr. Commercial Solar Guy. Thank you, Tim. Uh, hey, Tim, so where can everybody find you? You can find all our content at cleanpowerhour.com. I'm Tim Montague. My saying is let's grow solar and storage. Thank you so much, John. The Clean Power Hour is brought to you by CPS America, the maker of North America's number one three-phase string inverter. With over six gigawatts shipped in the U.S., the CPS America product lineup includes three-phase string inverters ranging from 25 to 275 kW. Their flagship inverter, the CPS 250-275, is designed to work with solar plants ranging from 2 MW to 2 GW. The 250-275 pairs well with CPS America's exceptional data communication, controls, and energy storage solutions. Go to chintpowersystems.com to find out more.